Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. What do you do when you find yourself in the middle of a big money It could be anything from not getting a raise in a couple of years. It could be that you realize you're in a big cash flow dip as a creative entrepreneur. It could be that you just found out you're being audited by the IRS. It could be that you're trying to determine if you should sell your home so that you can downsize your lifestyle and expenses. It could be that you have a big dream that you've yet to figure out how to fund. So what do you do when you find yourself in the middle of a big money riddle? Or what I like to refer to these days as a money koan. If you're not familiar with the word koan, K-O-A-N, it comes from the Zen Buddhist tradition. And it's a paradox to be meditated upon, whereas the Zen practitioner sits in the riddle, sits in the question long enough that they eventually abandon reason and step into a moment of sudden, intuitive enlightenment. So I'm not referring to the word koan in the traditional Zen Buddhist sense, but I'm using it as a metaphor for our money work. And when we sit in a riddle, a koan, a question long enough, we will eventually solve it and step into a moment of sudden financial intuitive enlightenment. So I've been a financial therapist for over 17 years now, and a decade before that I trained as a therapist, a body-centered somatic therapist. And I worked in the mental health field, and I worked in hospice. And I started teaching my art of money methodology which I used to call conscious bookkeeping 17 years ago in really small groups of 10 people over and over and over. And then I eventually moved to 20-person groups and then 50-person groups. And now I teach a few hundred people each year. And I used to teach my methodology over a six-week period, even sometimes weekend workshops, over nine weeks, three months, six months, and now I teach it in a year long So money koan is a term that I started using in the 
part of money community in the last few years. When I would see someone in a really tough spot around money, I would say, oh, you're in the middle of a money call-in. And we all have money riddles, money conundrums, money mysteries, tension places in our relationship to money that we've just yet to solve or we've yet to find the key to unlock the treasure. And I think that on some level we all feel that one day we're just going to be done with this money thing and it's all going to be figured out and we're not going to have any money issues. But our relationship to money is really an ongoing, lifelong journey that we're fine-tuning and updating all the time. And even with all the planning in the world, there's still going to be life curveballs and life challenges, money challenges, money curveballs. And I think what happens with a lot of us when we find ourselves in the middle of a money riddle or money cohen, we freak out or we step into fight, flight, or freeze. And so I'm here today to give you all some tools on how to work through your money cohen or your money cohens or the one you're going through right now because I ultimately believe that we can find new solutions and new possibilities and new ways of working with money even when stress feels incredibly high. And in my own life, I've definitely had my freak out moments and my stuck moments and my crying moments where I just can't find the answer until I suddenly do. And I'm incredibly grateful when I've broken through and found an answer and on some level it feels like magic but for me, it's really hard work, intention, perseverance, some prayer, and magic all come together, and the money Cohen is solved. So here I was 21 years ago. I am 28 years old. So if you do the math, I am eight months within view of 50 years old. And yes, I'm in the middle of perimenopause. And that's another talk completely. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Can I get a whoa? Um, so coming back to 28-year-old me, and I had been, I was working in the mental health field as a counselor, as a social worker. And I had finished my master's in psychology, and I was feeling so incredibly stuck. I was making $11 an hour, working full-time, 40 hours a week, making $11 an hour. And I started to notice it in a few different places. One, I would go to those potluck dinners, and I wanted to bring a basket full of really good chocolate, <laughs> dark chocolate, okay? Dark, dark, dark chocolate. And I couldn't do that on $11 an hour. Working day in and day out, 40 hours a week, I was giving so much, and I love my work, but I'm starting to think a massage would be nice, a little bit of self-care, maybe acupuncture. I couldn't do any of that on $11 an hour. Then one day, the director sat us down in a little circle, and I think it was United Way, someone, a representative from United Way, came and sat down and asked if we would all contribute some of our salary to donate to their organization. And I stood up in my 28-year-old self and said, absolutely not. You know, I would love to give, but we're making $11 an hour. And this is my giving. My giving is here. So that was kind of the third piece that allowed me to see I'm, I'm in a money ceiling. I'm stuck. Really, really stuck. And so my first thought was, well, I'll just go to the director and ask for a raise. Because 
you know, that's what people do. See, as by training as a therapist, we weren't taught to strive. We, we weren't supposed to be striving for money. We weren't supposed to want money. We were supposed to just do our good work, and then somehow we would be compensated. And it took me until a year later when that school loan finally came due, and I freaked out and realized we never talked about money in my graduate program, training to be therapists. Mm -hmm. We didn't know how to start our own businesses, do the bookkeeping, work with couples. It was amazing that this was completely not left out. So back to this moment, I go to my director, and I say, you know, I, it's been a year, can I get a raise? You know, I also wasn't trained in how to negotiate. I was like, can I get a raise? And he said, well, let me get back to you. We'll do a review on you. And he came back a week later, and he said, nope, sorry, you don't have enough points. And I had just gotten my master's degree, and I was like, what does this even mean? So from there, I felt furious. And in that moment, I was going to take on this system, the social work system, the mental health system, and I was going to get us all paid well, you know, and I was going to take on this field and somehow let culture and society know how valuable it, this work was. And I really thought about that, but quickly I realized that's not my path. I don't think that's the right path, but I'm gonna find another road here. But I thought for a moment, I'll be an ad advocate. I'll be an activist. I'll do this. And then I thought, no, I need to find another pathway here that's more in alignment with my skill set. And then, so I just started putting the question out there. Like, what are my other options? How can I break through this money ceiling? The only options I saw were get another job in the mental health field, or start a private practice. I felt too young to be starting a private practice. I was 28 years old. Right? So I put the question out. How can I break through this money ceiling of $11 an hour? And then within a few weeks, the director comes back to me, and he says, out of your 40 hours, what if you did five of those hours um, where you learned how to do the bookkeeping for this program? And I wish I could see what my face looked like in that moment. <laughs> Because a week before, or maybe even that day, my bank statement had come in the mail, I threw it out. I wasn't good at math, or I didn't think I was good at math as a little girl, so somehow I'd equated, if I'm not good at math, not good at money. If I'm not good at math, can't learn bookkeeping. So I sat there, whether I had a poker face or my jaw was open, and I just had the voice of say yes. Just say yes, you've been asking. And this is not the road maybe to making more than $11 an hour, but maybe it is, who knows? So I said yes, I went to that back room, I learned Quicken, I learned Excel, and it blew my mind. I loved it, <laughs> loved it. It was, it was like the other side of my brain opened up and was like, you can do this, it's all organized, I loved it. So from there I got another idea to just look in the newspaper. Like is there anything, even though I have a master's in psychology, I'm supposed to continue on this path, is there anything beyond $11 an hour? I saw this little job, in an organic bakery called Rudy's Bakery, you might know their bread, and they had an accounts receivable job paying $13 an hour. <laughs> I took it, I applied, I interviewed, um, I got it, and then they, they bumped me up to 15 <coughs> That was huge. I thought I'd be there a few months, I was there two years. Within that time, I also met a contractor at a party, and he said, oh, you're a bookkeeper. I'm like, no, I do this little accounts receivable thing and accounting. He said, oh, you're a bookkeeper. I am going to, I want you to do my books, and I'm going to teach you QuickBooks. And I'm going to start you out at 20 an hour, and then bump you up to 25 once, once you've learned the books in a few months. And I was like, 
it just it felt so good. These little small incremental movements, moving beyond this money ceiling, was huge. It was huge. And what wound up happening during that time was, I I listened and followed the chocolate crumbs that led me to, what is where am I so stuck? I'm stuck, and my money riddle here is a money ceiling. I don't know how to get beyond $11 an hour. So I started asking questions and new questions and I just started following them and following the leads even though it seemed like odd detours at the time, but eventually set me on a path of a new livelihood, okay? Where actually after a few years I started doing bookkeeping, that was kind of my interim before I became a financial therapist and people would just throw their books at me. They had no idea I had a master's in psychology it was therapists, it was artists, it was coaches, and they really could care less about my background. They just didn't want to do their books or look at their numbers. And they just threw their books at me. And I did bookkeeping for a few years, and I learned more about people by doing their books than I think if I had done therapy with them at that time. The next big money, Cohen, I am 38 years old. And what's happening in that year is I had grown my financial therapy work for six years. And I had a business partner, and I had a whole team of bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches under our umbrella, Conscious Bookkeeping. We were doing well, we were growing, we had been growing for that whole time, we planned on continuing to grow. What also, what also happened in that 38 years that I woke up, and after 38 years of being clear, I'm not gonna have children, it's not my path, it's not my thing, I have other things to do. I woke up in my 38th year, and that was my only next step. And it surprised the hell out of me. But I'm, 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 it's, I'm okay with changing my mind. But I had been with my husband for seven years, and literally in our second date, kids, kids, no kids, no kids, let's sign on the invisible line, no kids. That happened like on our second date. So here we are, six, seven years into our marriage, and I get clear that my next step is to have a child. And so that year I start dropping seeds around him. <laughs> and more seeds around him. And he's not picking them up. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I drop more seeds. I, you know, but I, was, I think I was more calm. You know? And by the end of the year, um, I was living in California at the time, I was literally in my garden. And he came out the front door, and I was like, dig in, it's time. Like the train is leaving the station and I want you to get on board with me. I'm not looking for anyone else to join, you know, I want you to get on board this train with me. It's happening, this is happening. And he said, okay, we'll do therapy. We wound up doing six weeks of therapy where I sat there quietly. And when I want something, I'm usually not quiet. My husband calls me a freight train. I, I prefer Jaguar. <laughs> I think it just counts, I know what I want. But he, I sat there quietly because I felt, I hoped that I was feeling a knowing of what was going to be, what was going to happen. And he sat in that work, in that therapy work, doing work around his own father, that he's not his own father, that he's a different type of man, that he would be a different type of dad, that a child could have a different child. And at the end of that six weeks, he came to a yes. I was already a yes. And we ended that therapy session and walked out into the building. It was a big building. We were still in the building. And all of a sudden, the whole building started shaking. And there was an earthquake. <laughs> it was a mild earthquake, but it was an earthquake. 
And we looked at each other, we were like, whoa, okay, that's cool. And we went home and we intentionally conceived our son Noah. Now in any story, there's hopefully going to be beautiful moments and easeful moments and challenging moments, right, and painful moments. So we got the conception, we got the, on the first try. Pregnancy after throwing up, pretty good. I got to 42 weeks. Um, I was big and happy and still sleeping on my back. And then the next day I was going to have to show up at the hospital. Because in Colorado the laws are you can't have a home birth. And I really, really, really wanted a home birth in water. Isn't that so lovely? And so I was going to have to show up the next day. So the midwife said, it's time for castor oil and vodka shots. <laughs> I was like, okay. I did the castor oil and vodka shots, did the first shot, an hour later did the second shot, labor began, and it was intense and fast and furious for 11 hours, and I could not get into my body. And I know how to get into my body. I grew up dancing, I'm a somatic therapist. I was in the shower for hours and hours and hours. Finally, I walk into the living room. Well, first I put on my orange dress that I wore for months. I walked into the living room. I looked at my husband, I looked at my midwife, I said, we're going to the fucking hospital. And I remember every minute of that drive to the hospital. And we get there, and with a half an hour, I was hemorrhaging, really, really, really bad. And next thing you know, there's doctors and nurses coming into the room, so I'm told. And also soon after that, though, the doctor came in, and she talked to me about a C-section. On some level, I felt I was being given a choice. It clearly wasn't but it felt that way to me. And I said yes, and then I calmed down. I even spoke to my mom for a few minutes, Forrest's mom, my husband's mom. We went into surgery calmly, my son was then calm, and we delivered a very healthy little boy named Noah. So I'm now on the other side of my labor and my birth. And I was planning business as usual. My business partner, my team of bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches, we were just gonna continue as, as we were. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, again, money Cohen. I'm in the middle of a money Cohen. But this time there weren't fight, flight, or freeze happening. I was so blissed out on the hormones because it was so intense, the experience, that I think I just was blissed out like, baby, I'm almost 40 years old, this is incredible. And then I just had to start asking the questions, like, how can I continue doing my work while I recover? I had to recover for a long time after that experience. How many hours of work can I do? I used to work 40, 50, 60 hours because I loved it and I had tons of energy. I was in my 30s, right? And also, what can I do that I love the most that's the most lucrative? And that little set of questions how can I continue to do my work while I'm recovering, crazily sleep-deprived, need to stay at home? How many hours can I work? And what do I love to do the most that's also the most lucrative? Right? Those set of questions led to me sitting with it for a little bit. I decided to let go of my whole team. It totally went against the grain. Um, it went against what many, many, many other women were doing at that time. I saw so many women having babies and just continuing on with their work or having a little break, but I had to listen to what was right for me, and I was in a big recovery. So I wound up putting my work all online, deciding I could work 10 hours a week and realizing I could lead my groups of 50 people, hopefully, a few times a year, 
totally sleep deprived, while recovering, crazy hair bond in my head, no one can see me. And that's what I did for those times. What's really interesting is I'll tell a teeny little side note story. As I'm in bed, you know, recovering, four months in, I get a call. And I get a call from my, Amanda Steinberg, and she had just delivered her second baby from the hospital. And she's like, hi. She was in the hospital room, and I'm in bed recovering, like with my baby. And she's like, do you want to join Daily Worth with me and be one of the writers? And I was sitting there like, no. <laughs> um, oh my god, you're amazing, and you go, girl. And I'm just going to come back to my little recovery. And that was, I think, one of our very first interaction was you calling me from the hospital. So you're a pioneer, you're like, who do I call? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wound up recovering for two years and, you know, going from 10 hours to 15 hours and building up again. But the biggest lesson in there was that I chose to simplify. And as entrepreneurs, it's always about expansion. We're supposed to earn more, save more, give more every single year. And hopefully we have a lot of those years and really good years like that. But every year is not like that or at least in my world. And so choosing, after expanding for six years, all of a sudden, choosing to simplify and heal and recover and making my family and my health priorities, you know, and how I set up my business model was essential during that time and in solving that particular money riddle and money economy. A few years later, I was sleeping. <laughs> My son didn't sleep until three years old, but now he sleeps like me. So he's three, three and a half years old. I'm feeling the urge to expand again. I can feel it. But what was happening in this particular year was that I would open up my program and register people to get in, and it felt like we were pulling teeth to get 40 to 50 people into the program. Then I would finish with my launch and registration, and then my husband was starting his new business, and then he would launch his Tech Genius program. And the first time he opened it up, he got more people than me, and I was like, Rrr. we have fun competitions with each other. It's very loving. But then I went into my launch again. And it was like, what? This year is feeling intense. It's feeling like a push. It's feeling like I'm pulling teeth just to get 40 to 50 people in. At the time, I was doing a three-month group coaching program with this home study that I had created when Noah was two. Something was not working. Then we went into the next launch of my husband's, and we thought since his first one was so good, his second one would be like one and a half times, right? We opened it up, and pretty quickly we realized something's going on here. We opened up the program in the middle of elections. Now this was seven years ago. So we were so happy with the results, so happy that Obama was our president again, but no one was, a pay, no one was paying attention to online programs. So we wound up doing about, two, he wound up doing about two thirds. All of a sudden, we're in, like the plane's starting to come down. Because we, it was a year where we were feeling an expansion. Rent was going up, we were still renting at this time in Boulder, Colorado, my son was in school. You know, family expenses were increasing, and it was time for us to go to the next level. And here we were, and it was one of those money cones again. We're in the middle of a money cone. This feels scary. This, we were both doing lights and freeze on this one. And so my idea was to go stay with his parents in St. Louis for the year. 
<laughs> and he thought that was the most awful idea ever. He was like, that's not even an option, you know, that's another one. And, but we were about to go there for the holidays to celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas. And we decided instead of just going for a week, we go for a month to regroup, to lower expenses for that month, to brainstorm, to start asking new questions on how do we expand here? What do we do? We're like going down and either we need to go live in St. Louis for a year before we can save enough or get to the next level. Something really needs to shift here. We go to St. Louis. Normally when I'm asking questions, when I'm in the middle of a money cone or money riddle, I ask questions. The way I usually do it is I hike on my trail in Boulder, Colorado. I've been hiking these same trails on and off for 25 years. A lot of my pictures on Instagram are my trails that I hike. But we were in St. Louis, so I could not hike on my trails, and it was freezing cold. I couldn't even go for a walk outside. So I would put my son to sleep at night in a little tent bed with all the stuffies that they had made for him. There's a single bed next to it. I would lie down on the bed, and I would close my eyes, and I would just start to ask my questions. What needs to be different here about my program? How can this feel more like an opening rather than a launch? How can I shift the energy? Is that even possible to shift the energy to more a feminine experience? And what does this even mean? And I started going through the list of questions. I also started looking just at the program. And I was like, I keep teaching in three months. It's not working. What if I you know, made it a year-long program? I was like, you know what? I'm about to turn 44. I feel very mature. I had matured. I also felt the community had matured. I felt like this was, you know, after a decade, things were happening. I also thought, well, what if I reduce the price point? Again, totally goes against the coaching therapy world. You're always supposed to be raising your prices. But I wanted to be as generous as possible with my content. And I was looking for a way to integrate time, energy, money, health, family resources. So I started asking all of these questions, lying in bed, right, in St. Louis during that month, and finally the answers started coming. And me and my husband and my virtual assistant, we quickly put together this year-long program with all these guest teachers that I have been creating relationships, year, with, relationships with for many, many years so that I could interview them. I already had the content. It would be a lower price point significantly. It would be $88 a month instead of $700 for three months. They would get everything. They would get all the content I had, right? I opened it up on January 3rd, 2013, as I stepped into my 44th year. And after pulling teeth to get 40 to 50 people into it, we got 320 people in that program over the next few weeks. So that money Cohen was, again, it was a huge riddle. It felt like we're, we're about to take a nosedive, but I could feel that there was an expansion happening. How do I do it? How do I shift the energy? How do I make this offering way more generous than ever? How do I lower the price point so it works for more people? How can I serve more people? On and on and on and on. We wound up leaving St. Louis, coming back to Boulder, and now we've been expanding for years. So, in all of these three stories, there have been three points of how to work with a money colon that I want to point at. Am I talking fast? <laughs> <laughs> Number one, name, acknowledge.
acknowledge and admit that it's happening, that you're in one. That is huge. Just naming it, acknowledging, admitting that you're in one. It's as though you're seeing it. You can put it next to you a little bit, offer tea, offer chocolate. The witness comes, the observer comes. It's huge and we can catch ourselves in it. Part of that is also what are the feelings? What's that terrain? Is it fight? Is it flight? Is it freeze? That's coming up in the middle of it? Not just name it then, but start to feel it. Start to sit in that terrain and those feelings and what are the nuances of that? Are you really scared? Are you overwhelmed? Are you, you know, are you feeling really sad? Are you feeling really pissed off and angry? So that's number one, name it, acknowledge it, admit it, and what are the feelings, and sit in them for a while and work with them. And it's also as though they're sitting side by side, so you're not fully overwhelmed and consumed by it. Number two, start to ask new questions, creative questions, questions you've never asked before that may seem silly or ridiculous, it doesn't matter, just ask new questions. And take these questions with you when you go on your hikes, on your trails, or when you go to your meditation cushion, or your yoga mat, or you go to take a bath or a shower, because I get a lot of answers in the bath and shower. Yeah. So take the, ask new questions and sit in these questions and live these questions. Number three, we don't know how long a money Cohen is going to take before it's solved before we find the new solution, the new possibility. Some take a few days, oh, those are nice ones, right? Some take weeks, some, takes months, some take months, and some take a few years. So three is about trust, staying in the trust while you're living the questions, while you're asking the questions, while you don't have an answer yet. The intention and perseverance that you will solve this, even if you can't imagine it right now, you will eventually find a new solution. Please add in prayer, if that helps. That's, that's number three, it's a combination of, oh, what did I just say the first one was? Trust, intention, perseverance, and some prayer. So even I forget that I'm not done with Money Cohen's. Um, as I was preparing for this talk a few months ago, and as I had decided what the topic was going to be, I was at the end of my Art of Money 2018 registration. Our goal for a few years had been to reach or exceed 500 people. It was clear that we were going to reach and exceed 500 people. As I was seeing that, I'm so excited, and we did, I picked my son up, son up from school, I took him home, we stopped at our mailbox, which is a block from our houses, I opened up the mailbox, I started looking through the mail, and there was an envelope from the IRS. And I open it up, and the IRS tells me that they are going to be auditing us for years 2015 and 2016 for personal finances, for business, our LLC, and our c Corp. So, in that moment, I suddenly have a flash of a really cute audit that I had 16 years ago. It was very cute. It was one of the first years I was in business, 
And it was a year I switched from doing bookkeeping and let go of all my clients to doing my group little programs of 10 people each person. I made 50,000 that year, 50,000. I was so excited and I was audited for that year and I showed up at the auditor's office in Santa Rosa, California with my cute little receipts and my little file you know, things and everything was organized perfectly and it was a two or three hour meeting and I left that meeting and didn't owe a penny more. That was a really cute audit. <laughs> this did not feel like a cute audit. I was having huge feelings. I was feeling invaded. I was feeling pissed. I was feeling scared. I was like fight, flight, freeze, all happening in one moment. I took the envelope, like tucked it in, put it, or put it in my purse, and like drove the block to our garage, opened it up, came inside, said, honey, we're being audited. He was like, okay, everything's gonna be okay. And I was like, what are you, oh, really? And what wound up happening for the next week or two is that I noticed my sleep was being interrupted. As I said earlier, I'm a professional sleeper. I'm a very good sleeper. But I was having trouble sleeping. I was waking up in the middle of the night. I was incredibly anxious. It took me until about a week and a half, maybe two weeks, and in the middle of one of my work days from home, I declared I'm going to take a bath. I get in the really hot bath water, and within a few minutes, all of a sudden I was like, no way. I'm in the middle of a money cohen. I'm about to give this talk in a few months about money cohens. I thought I was done with them. Of course, I'm in the middle of a money cohen right now. Just naming it was incredibly relieving, right? I could put it to the side, then from there was what are the feelings? So as I've already mentioned, I was feeling invaded. I don't like that they're sending me letters in my mailbox. I don't like that they're going after all of our businesses. I felt scared, I felt angry. What did it remind me of? Oh, it reminded me of an audit that my parents had. That was very challenging. Okay, what other new questions can I start to ask? Um, do I have really good support? Yeah, we have a great accountant who's also a tax attorney and used to work for the IRS. Okay, what are the IRS, what are they really looking for? You know, they want to know if we um, understated income, you know, overstated expenses. Well, maybe some of those dinners I had with my husband, but we were business partners in 2015 and 2016. Also, we bought a home, our very first home. Also, I was on a book tour for The Art of Money, my book, The Art of Money. How ironic that I'm being audited, you know, for the years that I was on my book tour called The Art of Money. But I went through, number one, naming it, acknowledging, admitting it. Number two, sitting with the feelings, like in the water, feeling them, letting them go, then starting to ask a new series of questions. So when I was done with that, I got out of the tub, I put on the towel, and while I wasn't done, the money Cohen wasn't solved, we just finished our third round of uh, documentation, and we've had every little piece of thing, but my God, is it time consuming, and it still pisses me off, and I'm working with all of that. I did realize, like, well, this is not solved yet, I trust and know that well, with time, it will be solved. So Money Cohen is a simple little metaphor that I'm inviting you all to try on for size. And so if you are realizing that you are in the middle of your own Money Cohen right now, or just finished one, 
Please add doses of gentleness and love and compassion and start to notice what the feelings are. It could be simple as, are you in fight? Are you in flight? Are you in freeze right now around this? And what have you been doing? And what are the emotions that you've been sitting on, not sleeping on, frustrated on, scared on, angry about? And then I invite you to come up with one question, one new question that you can start sitting in over the next few days and just sit in with yourself in the bathtub or on a walk by the ocean or bring to one of the other women or a few of the women here. And while it may feel as though this is a brick wall, eventually if you sit with your money Cohen long enough, you will eventually see that it's a door and that the door has a handle and that you can open the door and you will solve your money Cohen and step into a moment of sudden financial intuitive enlightenment. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.